Psalm 72, verses 10 through 11. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. O Lord our God, when these magi, however many there were, arrived in Jerusalem, they began asking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? questioning whomever they met, because they, as foreigners, knew of your monumental birth. They apparently assumed that anyone in Judea, and certainly in Jerusalem, would know of this special baby's whereabouts. They must have been shocked to discover that no one seemed to know what they were talking about. Lord, you are not a God of coincidence. These magi asked Herod the king the same question, not knowing that upon the top of a man-made mountain, three miles from Bethlehem, Herod had built the Herodian, the third largest palace of its day, a huge structure, a monument to Herod's wealth and engineering skill. You know, Lord, its buildings covered 45 acres of land and were surrounded by nearly 200 acres of palace grounds. The Herodian's circular upper palace could be seen for miles, and literally overshadowed surrounding villages, including Bethlehem. Built on a high hill, the palace stood about 90 feet tall, with steep earthen ramparts built around it. Four huge towers extended above the fortress's double walls. But the Magi came neither to see Herod's fame nor his fortune, but to bear witness to and worship the one whose light had drawn them there, your son, born in humble surroundings. We can imagine, Lord, magi kings and lowly shepherds drawn to the one true light. We acknowledge, Lord, that there are many, perhaps even in this place, if asked, where may I find the king of your life, the God of all creation, the sustainer of all, light of light, would be stumped to provide an answer to the question spoken of, as your scripture tells us, On many past occasions and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, upholding all things by his powerful word. Lord, We weep as we confess how we pass by you, the King of kings, drawn to man's seemingly significant power, our self-made riches, or the Facebook worlds created by our own inventions. We forsake your righteousness, imputed to us through our repentance and confession of sin, and placing our faith and trust in you, the living word. We exchange our selfie righteousness for the true righteousness you have given us at a cost we cannot truly fathom. We pray, Lord, that we may truly see you this Christmas, to be reminded once again that December 25th is but a metonymy for a life you perfectly lived to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. We pray that you would quicken us to be mindful and prayerful, and yes, Lord, active and willful, to share your great love with the sick, the hurting, the incarcerated, the broken, the depressed, to those whose marriages are crumbling 
are facing tremendous financial struggles. And so with Augustine of Hippo, we join in praying, Eternal God, the light of the minds that know you, the joy of the hearts that love you, and the strength of the wills that serve you, grant us so to know you that we may truly love you, so to love you that we may truly serve you, whose service is perfect freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is Truth Talks. Thanks for tuning in again to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today, I have the uncontroversial pastor of <laughs> Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, there you go. That's controversial. <laughs> no, that's, that's very controversial. <laughs> Completely un, un, politically incorrect. Uh, that's my middle name. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be a um, a very uh, Christmassy uh, <laughs> podcast for all of us. And what I want to do is talk about Christmas and the significance of it uh this is our this would be our christmas special our, our christmas jubilee there right here uh celebrating christmas and all that christmas represents uh but right now i have to ask you a question that is very controversial Uh-oh. that has nothing to do with christmas Uh-oh. before we get into christmas and uh that is the uh he has no idea what i'm going to ask him either which is which which is is, is is that any different than any other time? <laughs> it's not. It's not any different than the other time. But uh, uh, all week long, there have been uh, a lot of uh, stuff in the news uh, concerning a, a precious little girl named Olive. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, for me, uh, it was it's really hard for me. First of all, because I am a grandfather of a young uh, a little girl named Ezra who. Yeah. God wanted to uh, have in heaven, uh, and he did that because he's sovereign. Yep. And uh, she was, in June 30th is when she was stillborn. Mm. And now we have this little girl named Olive who died at the age of two. Yeah. Um, for, uh, the parents uh, the parents of this little girl uh, are worship leaders at Bethel Church mm. in Redding, California. Mm. And the... The thing that really messed with me is that they're, uh, one, I will say that their theology is completely wrong because instead of, you know, that pastor leading them through, you know, the, uh, just, just walking them through the the process of mourning their little girl and helping them understand that God is sovereign and, you know, doing, you know, doing a pastorly thing, it was really a... Oh no, we're gonna have a a couple of services, and she's gonna rise from the dead, and kind of like that 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 false hope. So um, that's the worst. Yeah. So this is the the question is more from a pastor's perspective of, you know, what should be the what is the proper response to all of this, and um, you know, give us a biblical like foundation uh, on what we should believe you know, in this type of situation. Yeah. Um, Talking about evaluating Bethel and what they've done with mm -hmm, this. Yeah. mm -hmm. All right. A couple things. Thank you for the controversial question. (laughs) I can always count on the faithfulness of Buddy to (laughs) throw me under the bus on multiple levels. But 
hey. I I enjoy it. I enjoy being run over. It's a, it's a little yellow school bus. Though. Yeah, that's all it's right. Not a, not yeah, a, it's not a like Greyhound bus. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's a short yellow yeah, bus. Too. That's it. That's it. <laughs> now, yeah, Proverbs. Uh, I think it's Proverbs twelve uh, says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick." Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's one of the saddest results of false teaching is what's called false hope. It's mm-hmm. one of the scariest realities of, of the false gospel is that it brings false assurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, false assurance then carries with it a false hope, a hope that will not last, a hope that will not uh, um, uh, uh, bring joy, peace, comfort, courage, all those things. In eternity, it will it will ultimately end this side of heaven, and that whole theological framework and system is all built on a false hope, and and you see it most clearly in times like this, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a an injury, whether it's a, a disease, or, or sadly death, where those who truly are orthodox, meaning they truly believe their belief system, even though it's not orthodox, but they're committed to it, mm-hmm. and they take the, what. All, where all charismatic really doctrine will ultimately lead you down to that man-centered uh, manipulation of God rather than a God-centered trust in God. Mm-hmm. It leads you to that end of hopelessness, right? And uh, it's so sad. And I've been watching uh, little snippets here or there just online and just uh, uh, honestly sad. I feel sorry for them and saddened um, for the family because they're their hope is not in the Lord as much as they would be adamant about that. Their hope is in their idea of the Lord, which is not biblical. And, uh, and they've gotten to that place because of a false shepherd. And that breaks my heart. It really, it upsets me when I see, uh, bad shepherds, false shepherds leading, uh, their people off the cliff of disaster. And clearly, um, Bill Johnson and that whole Bethel debacle is just filled with that. And uh, it saddens me on every level because the Bible's clear. Um, false teachers um, harm people. False teachers hurt people. False teachers, even at times unwittingly to themselves, right, uh, damn people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that is clearly what is happening in that whole uh, that whole debacle. And it this this is this is just brought it front and center. What has always been there. So in some ways there's a stability I have in evaluating it that this is no different than what's always been there. I mean, this is what they believe, mm-hmm. right? And so some people have really been outraged or like this is the first time this has come out. No, this is the this is what false doctrine gets you, right? This is what you do. And uh, when you believe false teaching about God and man and Christ and eternity. And so, uh, yeah, so I think a, a, a right response to that is is to cling to the truth and uh, shun error, right? And mm-hmm. you've got to be careful that you don't fall prey um, to, you know, their wiles and their doctrinal deviations and whatever. And it's also not to get ex- overly excited about it. It saddens me, but I haven't, I mean, I don't think I've been angry. I don't think I've come unglued like some people I've seen have or or whatever. I, I pray for that family and pray for uh, um, that whole uh, dilemma they're in that the Lord would save them out of it that has happened many times and I pray it does now I pray that the Lord will use this sad situation to open their eyes to the sad belief system they're enslaved to it's a cult 
it is in every way and enslaving you know it's like chains around your your neck mm-hmm. and uh, I pray that uh, through the reality of the falsehood which is really facing them now undeniably right she's not she hasn't been raised and she's not going to be raised and sooner or later that's going to hit home and in the quietness of their heart they're going to say yeah why why not if we believe this, why, why, why not? And I pray that at that moment, truth will prevail in their heart and they'll submit to it and be like, yeah, because what we've been believing is wrong, mm-hmm. right? And it's not right and it's man-centered. And uh, so I, I, think, I think, you know, their whole doctrinal system brings no hope. So there's no way for me to evaluate what they're doing and bring hope. All I can do is bring hope from the Bible's perspective, mm-hmm. right? about God's sovereignty even in suffering and God's uh, perfect decree even in death, mm-hmm. right? Psalm 139 is clear. Every day of our life was ordained before God before any came into being, right? Um, he knows every hair on our head. Not one falls to the to the ground or goes down the drain when you're taking a shower <laughs> without him knowing it, mm-hmm. right? And, and who, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, who can add one day uh, to his life with all the worry that we bring in trying to preserve ourselves or whatever and so god is sovereign um we will not be taken from this earth one day one moment one second before he says so and uh even in the midst of our death there's hope in that there's there's a peace in that that we um that we don't have to worry um that we um we can be saddened we can be shocked uh, but we need not lose hope because god hopelessness is when there's no there's no control Mm mm-hmm Right. That's that's where hopelessness. When I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know who's controlling it. Right. Right. I know that I don't know what's going to happen, but I never ever am without the knowledge of who's controlling it. Mm-hmm. I know God's in control, and therefore I have I have no fear, even in the even in the face of the unknown, mm-hmm. which is scary. Mm-hmm. Like that happens with all of us, right? Even in the midst of death or disease or. So um, I, my life is in his hands. Our lives are in his hands. And so as a believer, there's hope always. I never lose it. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 4, in the midst of death, when the Thessalonica church was discouraged because, of, again, what in, in Thessalonians 4, they had, been, they had been deceived by false teaching. And the false teaching was that Christ had already returned and left them behind and that they had missed they had missed the second coming of Christ, oh right? Goodness. And so so they're trying to figure out, wait a minute, if we've missed it, what about all of our loved ones? What about what about all those who have gone before us? And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's writing and says, no, 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 I don't want you to be deceived by those who are asleep. I don't want you to be deceived by those who have already gone ahead. Mm-hmm. And his point is, you, you haven't missed anything. Mm-hmm. He said, and his point is, listen, they're, they're, they're with the Lord in spirit. They're, they're there. And he says, but this is hope that all of us who remain, all believers, that is, not everybody, but all believers who remain, we have this hope that the Lord's going to call us all home mm-hmm. sooner or later. Either he's going to return and we're all going to go with him or we're going to die. But this to be sure that we will not beat those who are, who are asleep. They're going to come out of the grave, meaning their bodies, and as we get the resur- resurrected bodies, they're already in spirit with the Lord, but their bodies will come out of the grave in their resurrected state and we will meet them. Caught in up the together. air, yeah, in mm-hmm. the air, and we'll be with the Lord forever, which means we'll be with them forever mm-hmm. with the Lord. And the final phrase, what? Therefore, okay. encourage one another words. with these things. Mm-hmm. So you see a beautiful, clear 
uh, uh, hope that comes from sound doctrine. But in that same passage, you see the confusion and the hopelessness that comes from false doctrine. Right. Because that's what's driving that. Paul's having to answer that. Mm-hmm. So that's always the result of false teaching. And, um, you know, Paul is clear to be absent from the body, meaning moment of death is to be present with the Lord. Second uh, Corinthians 5, he declares that emphatically. That was his hope. That was, that was literally what he wanted. That's why he says in Philippians uh, chapter 1, for me to die is 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 gain right mm-hmm. and uh, literally to go and be with christ he says to live as christ to yeah. die is gain. yeah but i mean his point is for me to die is gain meaning i'm going to go and be with christ mm-hmm. but for me to stay is gain as well because i get to be here and encourage you in christ mm-hmm. so i'm pulled apart which one shall it be and that's when he says i guess i'm going to stay and serve the lord mm-hmm. but his point there that is powerful is for me to die is to go be with christ mm-hmm. like he Paul didn't believe, nor does the Bible teach, of like soul sleep, where you just like you're in limbo for, for you know, an ambiguous period of time, or until the Lord returns a second time. Not at all. Our 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 uh, temporary bodies are, of course, they die, they decay, and one day we'll get a glorified body like Christ had. But um, in the meantime, between now and and that reunion with our bodies, man, we're we're with the Lord in spirit. Without any question, the Bible is crystal clear about that. And and again, there's hope in that for the believer. And so that's the blessing. Death is just a crossing over of the veil. It's just literally walking through one dimension to another, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's not uh, it's not purgatory. It's not it's not uh, some sort of soul sleep. It's it's uh, clearly an, uh, a passing from this uh, body of death to spiritually being in glory with the Lord. And I mean, there's, there's nothing not to like about that. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about this a lot in our uh, next point in men's Bible study, because okay. this, that's the whole point the of glorification, glorification mm-hmm. right? We're going to talk a lot about what that means in the intermediate state and all of that. But y- y- you should be asking why, why, when, why when we're talking about training ourselves to godliness, should we be talking about this? Because this is a motivation to pursue godliness because it brings hope. Definitely. Right. And uh, so but again, we we're, we think way too much about this earthly life and don't think enough about our heavenly life. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we struggle. So I think that um, for, for me, this whole situation uh, yeah. really brought to life uh, to light, I would say, a lot of things. One, uh, I I heard literally Bill Johnson say is what we what we are doing is us you know calling olive back from the dead is that messing with the sovereignty of god and i was like that is a great question and his answer was no it's not yeah because you know <laughs> i completely shocked that this is what he said yeah because there are some times when people die and it's not in god's time yeah well and i'm like i don't get it if yeah. the sovereignty of God yeah. is is it is, just contradicted it himself. Completely contradicted. Which is what himself. false doctrine always does. Mm-hmm. Right? Remember, most false doctrine isn't completely false. It has a little bit of truth in no, it. No, a lot of times it has a lot of truth. Yeah. So um actually most of the time false doctrine is more truth than it is error. Wow. So uh never forget uh, you know, a half truth is a full lie. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so it's just it's it's that reality. And so oftentimes we're deceived or we're 
we're, gullo- we're gullible in our reception of false doctrine because it has aspects of truth in it. And people will say, but this is right, this is right. I'm like, yeah, but that is wrong. Mm-hmm. And because that is wrong, it negates all of this over here just because they have a little bit of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, would you would you eat a- any food that I brought you that had uh, 0.111% of rat poison in it, right? <laughs> right? Because when you go to rat poison, that's literally all you get. It's 99 mm-hmm. inert matter, meaning it's not going to kill you. And there's only like 0.11% of poison that mm-hmm. kills you and it'll kill you. And it's just like, yeah, so it is with false doctrine. Yeah. It only takes one little drop. And so, yeah, no, I would say he was right in saying whatever they're doing doesn't mess with the sovereignty of God because you can't mess with the sovereignty of God, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. In the sense of Daniel 4, right? God's going to do whatever he's going to do and no one can stop him. Uh, uh, Psalm 115.3 no one can stay his hand he's going to do whatever he wants to do in the heavens and uh, no one's going to stop him he makes it he makes the sun to rise and the moon to fall he brings kings to the throne and takes kings out he brings life and he brings death he creates good and calamity Isaiah Mm -hmm. says so yeah you can't mess with God's sovereignty but here's what you can do here's what you can do you can deny it which they have even though they wouldn't verbalize that they utterly have or you can twist it. Mm-hmm. They completely have. Yeah, so that's definitely. that's that's what they've done. They've denied the sovereignty of God and they've twisted it. And so it's really, really scary. Um, yeah, it's... Um, I'm pulling the book off of the shelf that I'm about to recommend. I'm, I'm doing okay. the mat. I'm yeah. pulling the book off the that's shelf. All right, go for it. So, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's how would I respond? Run to the truth. Because in, in the truth there is hope. Now, we can have a discussion... Let's see the book. You we can have a discussion about bringing hope in the midst of loss. Mm-hmm. We can bring hope. We can talk about hope in the midst of miscarriage or premature death. By way of our thoughts, there is no premature death in the sense of our thoughts, right? I mean, in the sense of God's world, <coughs> only in our thoughts. Yet at the same time, we understand, and, and this is part of what sound doctrine teaches. And they don't understand. Death is a result of the curse, mm-hmm. right? And death comes upon all people because all have sinned. And so there is no way to stop death. It's not going to stop unle- until the Lord returns. Right. Because that is the universal curse given the curse of God. And people don't want to say that, but that's what it is. He cursed us in that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was his curse. He said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And so... I mean, there's no way to say stop it. And every funeral and every time I look in the mirror, I look at my face, I see it, right? Death is coming. Mm-hmm. It's constantly at work within us. Our bodies are breaking down. And so, um, but sad reality is even in the fallen world, death comes faster than we normally think it it, it, it should. Or, or even normally than it normally does with our children or loved ones or whatever. And so in a situation like this, it is so sad mm-hmm. because it it is not something we want for anybody even our enemies yeah. we don't wish that on yeah. but it's the reality that we come face to face that no one is guaranteed tomorrow right and james 4 says it clearly and uh uh if the lord wills we'll do this tomorrow if the lord but we we have no idea only the lord knows when our time will be and uh and he could take us at any time and we deserve to be taken yesterday mm-hmm. by way of our sin all everyone including our children mm-hmm. right and so again but that's sound doctrine that roots you uh, grounds you when you're in the midst of suffering like that, that uh, keeps you stable. And uh, a sound doctrine of, of man is so important in the midst of suffering and death. Uh, otherwise, you get a conflated, in conf- a conflicting and inflated view of self, and it makes it harder 
doesn't mm-hmm. take away the pain of loss. We love our loved ones and it hurts, but it does give you an anchor in the midst of the storm that says, no, I, I understand why this has happened. Yeah. Right. Even, even in the midst of abuse and things, it's just <clears throat> like, you need that, you need that clear understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even in the midst of being abused, it's a result of sin, not my sin, but the sin of that person. And, and the fall and part of a fallen world and all of those truths that the scripture is so clear about are so vital not when you're in it because you can't hear it then all you're you're just you're just filled with remorse you're filled with sadness Mm -hmm. but that's why sound doctrine and preaching and teaching and in a church is vital because every sunday is a preparation sunday for the pain that's coming to your life yeah every single sunday so Pastors need to preach deep and 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 dig the well deeper every week for their people because they're going to need it because suffering is coming. Pain is coming. Abuse is coming. Persecution is coming because it's a byproduct of the fallen world we live in. You cannot stop it. You will not stop it. And God has promised it. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only hope we have in that is one, the gospel. And number two, the truth of of God's never um, changing word that gives us hope not only in everlasting life but also in answering why these things happen yeah the uh, book i pulled off the shelf is uh safe in the arms of god by john MacArthur. and uh when uh our little grandbaby went to heaven uh this was the uh, book that matt gave me and uh, i would definitely recommend that if you somehow are listening to this podcast and you have connection to that couple uh olive's parents it put put a put a, put a copy of the book in their hands i will i'll send it to them if you can give me their information and the reason why is because this answers a few questions and this is i'm literally reading this straight from the uh the book flap why did our ch- child have to die when why will we see our child again how can we cope with our overwhelming sorrow what is the age of accountability do babies pay for the sins of their parents can infants and even the unborn experience salvation what is heaven like uh, for children. And this book really goes scripturally through uh, the whole process of grieving. Um, also goes scripturally through the the salvation of that kid that, that dies. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the stories that he tells of uh, the crazy things that people will say to people that have lost children are just phenomenal stories. I mean, you know, you, you would never think someone would do that, but this is a really good resource. Uh, and like you're saying, Matt, you know, being in a, uh, a biblical church, uh, mm-hmm. really is, is, is amazing to have, uh, you know, having, you know, a uh, a pastor that can actually go through the scriptures and comfort through the scriptures. I mean, that, that's, that is even bigger than any book. You know, oh, yeah. the, the Bible is the, the ultimate book for comfort, but well, alongside of that, I think this is a good oh, resource. Yeah, get, I don't know how many copies i've handed out of that book over the years it's 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 a worthy read and extremely helpful but what's what's interesting in that in that context of that dilemma is just showing you the um fallacy and the the errancy the error of bill johnson's thinking right to somehow it's the audacity of arrogance to somehow think that god doesn't know what he's doing Mm -hmm. right when someone dies and and of course we can we can deal with it a little bit better when they're older in age it's it's always shocking when it's a child Mm -hmm. and and i don't dismiss the pain of that for anybody for anybody um but the reality of even in that right we 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 never know what god's doing 
right? He is perfect. He is sovereign and he has a plan for every single person and you have no idea what it is. Yeah. And it very well could be that, that well, it was, if it happened, that was his plan. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's plan is always right. Mm-hmm. And so again, that's not me talking, take scripture for instance, right? Take a child. So the apostles are walking down the road and there they see a blind man, right? Mm-hmm. And immediately going right to the issue uh, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it the sin of his parents or was it his sin? Right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's born blind. So it's clearly not his sin in the right. sense of, you know, in the sense of he didn't cause that, though that could have happened by a discipline of the Lord. And that's spoken of in Scripture. But in this guy's case, no, he's born blind. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, it has nothing to do with his sin. So many times in Scripture, we always think it's personal sin when difficulties comes. A lot of times it's not. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the sin of somebody else, or it's the sin of just being in a fallen world and just the natural cause, the natural results of, of sin. But it's not necessarily my sin. could be that in this case. However, he says something that's theologically foundational to this whole discussion. <laughs> Jesus says, listen, he was born that way so that he might glorify me. Wow. I mean, you think about it, right? He's walking mm-hmm. along and he says, listen. I'm going to show you how 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 sovereign by way of my authority and by way of my power I am in this. He was born that way for this very moment hmm. so that I could walk by here and you could ask me that question and I could look at you and say, he was born that way. Literally, Jesus is the sovereign creator. Jesus is saying, I created him with that imperity, mm-hmm. with that blindness, I created him that way. Mm-hmm. Think about it. We would look at that and say, oh, my child's impaired, right? And physically, we would know that he is. And yet at the same time, that child was blessed beyond belief right. to be the conduit of God's glory that is still being talked about thousands of years later, wow. right? Yeah. Now, no parent would wish that for their child, and yet sound doctrine will help you wrestle with that and embrace it with joy and be like, okay, I, I, I don't understand all that God's doing, but I know what he can do and that may be what he's doing now and I'm going to give him praise. And so he goes on and what happens? He looks at his apostles and said, that's why this child was that way. Paraphrase, I created him that way for this moment so that God would be glorified. And what does he do? He heals him mm-hmm. and he shows, watch. And, and what glory was brought to God showing the power of Christ through the Spirit of God, by the Father's will, and he heals him and shows it has nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. It has everything to do with my glory. And that's the way all of life is. And to say that we're calling him, this child, back, you have no idea what God is doing. You have no idea what glory God could bring out of this. And to somehow think that you're going to steal that glory, because that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. We want to steal that glory from the Lord and somehow lie and say, well, this will give God more glory because people no, it'll rob God of his glory. Yeah. And uh, so scripture is clear. Uh, oftentimes difficulties and even death come because it's part of God's ultimate plan to bring himself glory mm-hmm. and uh, and let him do that. Mm-hmm. It's hard in the midst of it. I, I, I've just had that happen in my life, and you, it's hard to submit to that, but uh, it's always right. Yeah. And it, the key for it all is faith. Mm-hmm. It's the key. Definitely. Trust. And, so, and, and the problem with them, they don't have that Yeah. because their doctrine points them away from Christ. Mm-hmm. It points them away from God as much as they might use the name Christ or as much as they might elevate 
you know, Christ in their songs or it, it all takes them away from him into an experience, mm-hmm. into a personal uh, experience rather than personal faith. Yeah. And it's totally, totally anti-biblical what they believe and uh, and the results are they the results speak for themselves. And it's sad. Yeah. Since Friday, they've uh, well, on Friday, they actually released a statement, yeah. which <clears throat> the timing was was very interesting because they did it like just kind of in passing. And before you know, in a, at a time where the, the, the news media wouldn't pick up the story and, yeah. and blast it everywhere, um, they, they posted that they have now decided that they're going to have a memorial service for Olive. Yeah. And that they're going to allow the parents to grieve at this point. But I think that the damage has been done. Um, uh, but but also, in, in, in the same light, uh, one of my prayers this week for that has been for Bethel actually to wake up instead of their their hashtag they had of wake up olive yeah i put a hashtag of wake up bethel because you know if anything i would want this situation to be used for uh for god's glory for them to see the falsehood that's coming from uh the teaching there and to turn and have a a true repentance uh from them yep that's what i would want too but the sad reality is uh the the claws of false teaching are are deep and yeah. they always, it always has one ultimate, it always has one ultimate goal and that's destruction. Yeah. And, um, and that's what's been brought out here and it'll continue to spread like gangrene and it's, it's sad. Mm-hmm. So sad. It is. So what we're going to do here is take a break. Uh, got a catechism for you here. We're going to uh, post that and then we'll be right back to talk about something a lot better than this situation. <laughs> All right. So stay tuned. Welcome to Kidicism, where we do catechisms for kids. I'm Lucy. I'm Callie. And I'm Christian. So, let's go. So, the third question is, why did God make you in all things? I know why. God created us for his own glory. Hold on, how do you know that? Well, in Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Also, in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And in Isaiah 43, verses 6b and 7, it says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Wow, God really did make us for his glory. I know that's right. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day, and help everyone who's listening to learn something new about you. Amen! Thanks, and tune in next time for another Kidakidism. We have more coming up. Bye-bye! Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. Uh, Let's talk now about the 
uh, most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's. I think that for me, Christmas is is just a good time. I love Christmas. Oh man. Um, I think me that too. you know the the whole the lights and you know the the, the family time that you have to spend and yeah. the cold weather and yeah. uh, you the, like cold weather. I love cold weather. I am. I, I was. I was. I was. Uh, I was made for cold weather. You like eggnog? I love eggnog. Do you? I love it. That doesn't surprise me. I love eggnog. Yeah. I uh, I would much rather be drinking eggnog and sitting by a fire with chestnuts with uh, chestnuts or Roasted. no chestnuts yeah. doesn't matter I, give me a hot dog i put it on the stick <laughs> it doesn't really matter the fireside whether it be a fire outside or yeah. whether it be fire inside i'd yeah. rather do that than go to the beach in 80 degree weather and yeah. sit by the water like I, I literally would rather do that yeah yeah so uh let, let, let's get back to the <laughs> back to christmas uh the you have a, you've had a series of sermons here uh the couple of last uh, three weeks that have been uh basically talking about christmas um the jesus before uh christmas the jesus of christmas and jesus after christmas yeah. and uh yeah. uh give us like a a, a summary <laughs> <laughs> a, a short yeah. summary uh, of that and and the reason why I say that is because there's a lot of things that we can just pull out and sure. literally just talk about yeah uh right there so yeah no um well building off of how we started this segment talking about chestnuts and eggnog that that's a good segue because one of the greatest dangers for the church is the sentimental celebration of Christmas mm-hmm and really the byproduct of that is the uh, which is a deeper danger is the trivializing of the Christ of Christmas and that's one of the reasons why even preaching christmas messages at christmas is uh is dangerous because it can become almost sentimentalized where it's like this is just what we do at christmas like and this is the only time we hear about Jesus how sad would that be but that's yeah. pretty common mm-hmm. right and uh, that's the problem with so many churches they're not pre- preaching Christ they're doing other things but at Christmas we preach Christ and so um, what that does is it does add even that sentimental flavor to it where it's like oh our pastor preaches on you know Mary and Joseph and the wise men at Christmas and it, and it becomes just this humdrum uh, event mm-hmm. that we do rather than a person Right, we point to right and enjoy and rejoice in, and so um, I, it, it, be it imperfectly as a pastor, really do try to fight against that in my own heart, but as well as with our people, and so it's always my desire to purge that thinking from our hearts because we all deal with it because we live in a materialistic world. Most people think the greatest danger for Christians is materialism. At Christmas, no, it's we've been dealing with that long enough. The the commercialization of Christmas, we mm-hmm. get that. We know that that's there. Um, that's an issue, but that's not the danger. It's really this, like you just said, yeah, I love Christmas for chestnuts mm-hmm. and eggnog and fires and, you know, and that becomes what we really enjoy about Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things mm-hmm. at all. So it's not that enjoying chestnuts, eggnog, we could debate that, but, but, uh, <laughs> and fires is, is wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it though is when that is your celebration of Christmas right. and you sprinkle a little Jesus in. Right. And then you think somehow you're celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. You're celebrating the Christmas of your own making, but you're not celebrating the Christ of Christmas. Right, right. right. And that's what I'm constantly fighting for with us is to keep Christ where he should be 
and for us to see Christ as he is, not the Christ we have made. And that's one of our biggest dangers is the idol of Christ, meaning we have a Christ of our own making, not the Christ of Scripture. So in order to do that, you're constantly digging deep and taking people to Christ as he is in the Scripture, which confronts all that. So for us, we looked at the Christ before Christmas, which is the eternal word. Mm-hmm. The word became flesh, and or the, in the beginning was the word, John 1, 1, and then what does all that mean, and where does that all take us? Well, it takes us back to the Old Testament in the beginning, right, was the Word. He was the great creator. He was there with God as the second member of the Trinity. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're being confronted with the fact that though we celebrate the birth of this child king, right, this baby in a manger, it's scary how often we think of Christ just as the baby in the manger, yeah. right? He yeah. is not the baby in the manger, though that's him, but there's so much more. He's the creator of all the universe. And mm-hmm. so while that baby is in the manger, he's he's upholding the planets in the universe, mm-hmm. right? As Hebrews 1 says, he upholds everything by the power of his word. Mm-hmm. As Colossians 1.17 says, he is the sustainer of all of life. And so you have that, that um, theological conundrum in a good way b- with the baby in a manger that's being... Uh, helplessly cared for by Mary, mm-hmm. who at the same time is sustaining his own mother, Mary, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like, but that that protects you from trivializing and sentimentalizing Christmas, right? It provokes you to stand in wonder. That's what we've lost in the church today. We've lost a sense of awe and wonder. We, we, there's no fear of the Lord, and honestly, most people just heard me say that and probably don't even know what i'm talking about that yeah. you know that there's a fear of the lord that's good yes we're going to hundreds and that. hundreds and hundreds of time that's in scripture. a long that's a long we're commanded right yeah but because we've lost that the the fear of the lord brings wonder it mm-hmm. brings amazement we use the word awesome it's actually tied directly to the fear of the lord mm-hmm. and we see in this in the christmas narratives right the shepherds were in awe right mm-hmm. the wise men were in awe and everybody was, Zachariah stands in awe of the announcement about John the Baptist who precedes Christ and all of that. And so we've lost that because we're not explaining and digging deep enough and showing who this Christ really is. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that uh, even as we're dealing with our children and, and celebrating in our own way, that we never lose sight of uh, not the baby in the manger, but that the baby in the manger is the God of all the earth. Mm-hmm. And so so we looked at the Christ before Christmas, which was the preexistence of Christ and all that he uh, did throughout all eternity and even leading up to um, his birth. And then the next week we looked at the Christ at Christmas, which is really dealing with his incarnation, which that in of itself will humble you and blow your mind unlike any other because it's totally inexplainable in its, yeah. in its uh, full comprehension, how at the same time the eternal God, second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, can at the same time be fully God and fully man, that he can um, empty himself, as Philippians 2 said, without losing any of his deity, and he does that emptying by taking on full humanity. Right. Like, let that sink in. So for so long, so many people thought the emptying of himself was that he ceased to be God while he was man. So they take Philippians two and say, well, he emptied himself, meaning he no longer was God. He just became man. So he was like he was like in these different phases. I'm God before I was incarnate. Then I was man. 
and now I'm back to God again in my glorified state. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches. That's actually heresy. So, mm-hmm. so it, it, he was one and the same God and man. And yet, at the same time, he's distinctly God and distinctly man. He's not a mixture of both. He's not Plato, right? Mm-hmm. Where you take uh, white and blue and put them together and get some amalgamation, yeah. some amalgamation. But that's that's how people think. No, he remained fully and completely God, while at the same time fully and distinctly man. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, all within, all within one body. One person, man. Yeah, and so it's like, like that. You you just you just preach that, and you study that, and there's plenty of places to go. We went to John one, um, the Word became flesh. That was essentially all we looked at. Mm-hmm. You go there and just meditate on that, and how can that be? And then meditate on all the blessings of that, because the reality is, here's the point of Christmas: if if the Word does not become flesh on earth, we will never ever go to heaven. So Christ comes to earth and takes on flesh so that we, when our flesh dies, i.e. when when our flesh falls apart, can put on a new flesh, a new glorified body, and go to heaven. And that's the whole point of Christmas. He comes to die that we might live. Mm -hmm. He comes as the great revealer, the eternal word, the, the revelation of the Father, that we might know God. The issue is we don't know God and we can't know God Yet we were created to know God. And so God makes a way through his son, the great revealer, that we might know him and know him forever. And the doorway to that is Christmas. I I think that as you were preaching, the thing that messed with me so much is that humanity is so bad. Yeah. That (laughs) there was nobody that could do it for us. Like there's nobody that could save us from our sin. Nope. God actually had to appease himself totally in this whole thing. It's like, how, how bad are we? That that's what, that's what the case is yeah. that it can't be I mean, any other it. way. Moses couldn't do it. Yeah. Daniel couldn't do it. None of the, and David then, couldn't do it. None of the sacrifices, Paul do it. none of the sacrifices yeah. were good enough. No, I, man. Yeah. That, that messed with me for, it messed with me for a while. It's still mm-hmm. messing with me. But, but the, the, the joy in that. Mm-hmm. Is not simply understanding in a in a humble but right way that, yeah, we're messed up. That's true and that's important. The blessing is we're messed up, but God has provided a way. Yeah, right. And it's a way, the way, mm-hmm. right? It's not it's not one of many ways. It's the way, once and for all, mm-hmm. as Hebrew says. Yeah. And so it's vital that. Christmas be seen through the lens of sacrifice, through the lens of death, through the lens of of atonement, because that's what it's ultimately about. Now, what's interesting about that is we often lose sight of the fact of the word becoming flesh, meaning 100% humanity, 100% deity in one body, in one person, right? Two distinct natures. But we often forget the reality that he had to, not simply to die, because deity can't die. Mm-hmm. Right. In the sense of God can't die. The second member of the Trinity cannot die. Right. Or he would cease to be God. Mm-hmm. Right. And so God has no beginning. He has no end. He's God. And so Christ is much the same. Yet when he takes on flesh. Right. In his humanity, he can die because humans die. Flesh dies. Mm-hmm. So he has to be able to die to sacrifice to be to pay for sins because Ezekiel 18 is clear. The soul that sins must die and the sacrifice for uh, our sins is the death of the infinite son and that's what makes it sufficient but the reality of this is 
we often lose sight of. He had to became he had to become flesh so that he could live perfectly, mm-hmm. so that he could he so that he could prove his righteousness. Because we don't simply need our sacrifice for sin or our penalty for sin paid. That we do, but that's not enough. We need a penalty paid for, and we need a ledger filled, meaning all the righteous, re- the law. all the righteous gotcha. requirements that God required still have to be met. Mm-hmm. Even though now I no longer have a death penalty because Christ has paid that. What about all the requirements of the law? Right. I still have. I still have to meet that. Meaning I have to be perfectly holy, or I don't get into His presence. Mm. Wipe me clean from sin. That's awesome. I need that. Mm-hmm. Yet. I'm going to fill it right back up again. The minute you wipe me clean, I'm going to be dirty again. I'm going to sin again. And so it's like I need the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled. And that is why another massive reason he becomes flesh so that he can fill the law as a man doing exactly what Adam, the first Adam, could not do. The first Adam came. He went to the garden. God gave him the command. And what? He failed. Mm -hmm. Second Adam comes as a man. What? God gives him the the duty and he succeeds mm-hmm. and he now becomes our our head our leader and his life now becomes mine so not only does my penalty becomes his but his life becomes mine meaning his righteousness that's why in 1 Corinthians uh what is it 31 he says uh let him who boasts boast in the Lord right because Christ because of God literally because of God the Father in his plan Christ has become to us what our redemption, our justification and our righteousness. He has become for us that holy, perfect standard that God requires. I I can't meet it. I'll never meet it. Like you said, no one could. But Christ has met it. So that's that's not only the passive obedience of Christ to lay on the cross and die, but it's also the active obedience of Christ to fulfill Mm -hmm. all that God Wants. And that's what Paul drives in the book of Romans, right? We need righteousness. We need righteousness. We're, that's three chapters of proving man needs righteousness. He doesn't have it in and of himself. And then Paul goes on and says in uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and that righteousness has been delivered through Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why he starts out in the summation of, of Romans 1, 18, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe the Jew and the Greek. Why? Because it is the righteousness of God has been delivered to man. Mm-hmm. And that's really how Martin Luther got saved. And because he understood as a, as a monk that he needed righteousness before a holy God. Right. And he tried and he couldn't do it. And that's why he says in his testimony, he hated God because he tried and tried. But, he, you know, of course, he keeps falling short. He's a sinner. And he can't meet that perfect standard. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he understood that the righteousness that God requires, right? Verse 17 and 16 in Romans 1. The righteousness that God requires is delivered to man by faith. And that's That's the the glorious truth of the gospel. So again, Christmas points to that. Mm -hmm. So if Christ doesn't come and, and deliver to us that righteousness, we are never delivered to God in heaven. Yeah. And and then after the uh the the first two, the last yeah, yeah, sermon the, was then uh, we looked at the Christ after Christmas meaning mm-hmm. meaning we looked at the eternal word, the pre existence of Christ. We looked at the incarnate word, the flesh and deity, and then we looked at the 
um, the reality of the majestic word, the worship of Christ. And you look at that in the wise men. We looked at the, you can see it multiple places, but we saw it in the wise men and how they came to worship him and how whole purpose that Christ came was so that man could worship God. Mm-hmm. And the only way is what I just said, having our penalty dealt with and our righteousness delivered, then we can go and worship, bow before the king and worship uh, God through Christ and it will be acceptable to him and it will be um, a joy filled knowing that we get the privilege and the honor to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords because that's why we were created and that's that's our greatest heart's desire whether we admit it or not it's to worship the lord and so he he it's so encouraging to see that after Christ's incarnation as his life begins it all points to worship because that's mm-hmm. the whole point that's what Jesus will later say in John Four, right? The Lord is looking for worshipers with the lady at the well, with the woman at the well. Yeah. It says that the whole reason that I'm here is to find worshipers for the for, for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we see that at the beginning of the Christmas story, after the birth, Christ is a toddler. There comes these unexpecting, these foreigners, these strange people, the magi, right? Mm-hmm. Wise men from the east, wherever that was, probably Persia or Babylon or somewhere, China, who knows, right? but no doubt influenced by Daniel and, and the Magi who were there in Babylon. And here they come, unexpectedly, foreigners, Gentiles. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience about the, the fact that, God, that Christ is the Jewish long-awaited king, and here come the nations, mm-hmm. people from other nations coming to worship. Why? Because that's what it's all about. It's mm-hmm. all about worshiping him. One thing that's really interesting, a couple people uh, caught this today, and I was, I was proud of them. What's really interesting about this aspect of the story of the wise men is it not only gives us the historical fact of who Christ is as demonstrated through the response of the wise men. They worship him as only God should be worshiped, right? Mm-hmm. But it it also points ahead to the fulfillment of what's going to happen. The scripture, Old Testament is clear. The nations are going to come and worship at the feet of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point, right? It's the whole point. God said... I'm going to exalt my son. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this fact from Psalm 2 forward, Psalm 72, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 66, uh, Habakkuk uh, 2, I mean, or Haggai 2. I mean, it's just, it just repeated over and over again that the nations are going to come, that Israel will be a light to the nations, that the whole point of the king being sovereign from Israel in Jerusalem was for the nations to come and worship him. Mm -hmm. And what do you see with the story of the wise men? There's the king, even in his infantile, his toddler stage, and already the nations are starting to come and worship him. Mm -hmm. Now, in uh, Romans 15, I didn't bring this up today, but in Romans 15, Paul takes that truth and drives it to the Roman church and and says, this is the blessing of being a Gentile and being grafted in that the Gentiles might uh, rejoice in the mercy of God because of through Israel, even through their hardening, they have received mercy and now they can come and worship him. And that is seen even now in the church, but that will not ultimately be seen in fulfillment of what we read about in Isaiah 11 and so on until the final second coming of the Lord Mm -hmm. in the millennium with Christ, when he will literally sit in Jerusalem on David's throne ruling literally from his kingdom and all the nations of the earth, all the tribes and tongues and, and kings will come just as we see with those wise men and they will bow before him and worship him. Mm. And um, that's, that's Christmas is foreshadowing that. 
Mm-hmm. And Christmas is helpful because it helps us see if that's what it's going to be like then, that's what it should be like now, mm-hmm. right? And it should confront us to constantly be bowing before the king. That means full honor, full homage, full uh, full um, submission to the king. And, that I mean, that should be our life now, one of complete adoration and worship. Yeah, yeah. I I was uh, thinking through the, the Magi, uh, however many there were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, you know, I thought that Abram at that point, Abraham, yeah. Yeah. kind of came from the same area. The, yeah. The Ur, he you did. Know. He, well, he came, if they came from um, if the whole, the, if they came if they from came that from part, area, they could very well could have been. I would imagine that they heard stories about him. Yes. Um, but also, uh, you know, like you said, Daniel, you know, with the yeah. Israelites being there at that point. Yeah. So if they were if they were astrologers and yep. wise men and everything like that, they've probably heard those legends. So it made them kind of, you know, search, search out that. You yeah. Know, it's fascinating because we don't know really who they were. We have no names in the sixth century church. We were given names, three names, which is it's so funny, right? There's Melchor and Belteshazzar and uh, Gaspar, I think, are the names that you'll often hear for the three wise men. That came out of the sixth century A.D. church, out of actually um, you can go to a church in Germany in Cologne and you can find the skulls of the three wise men. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. So there's all these legends, and they were said to be uh, offspring of the th- of the three sons of Noah, and hence why in most nativity scenes, don't take this personally, brother, but most nativity scenes, one of the wise men is usually African or Ethiopian, right? Do you, you Have you noticed that? And, <sighs> and the reason for that is because they trace it back to one of the sons of Noah, right? And it's like... None of that is in scripture. None of that. None it's of all, that is in scripture. It's all it's all lit legend and hearsay, and and we so much of our nativity understanding is. But what's interesting, go with what scripture says. So we have these magi coming from the east. This is what we do know in scripture. There were magi in the east, and mm-hmm. we know that for sure in Persia and Babylon. We know that for sure because the Bible says it. Mm-hmm. So you go all the way to Daniel and you read about these magi who were there. Who, who were part of the royal court of Nebuchadnezzar. They were his royal advisors, his quote-unquote wise men. And uh, what's fascinating is God in his providence saves the wise men from Nebuchadnezzar's wrath through Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill him because mm-hmm. they can't interpret his dream. Daniel saves them, and he becomes essentially their boss. He rules over them, Daniel 2, 48, 49. And uh, don't you think for a moment that Daniel didn't have many discussions with the wise men about the coming king, which he was uh, understood, especially through the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, which he was able to understand that uh, Israel was going to be released from Babylon in, uh, in, in the year that was to come because he was reading the prophecies and realized, wait, we're, we're about ready to get out of exile. We were only going to come here for so 70 years, and our 70 years is about up. And mm-hmm. Daniel was able to figure that out. Don't you think he wasn't able to figure out the reality of the coming of the Son of Man, which he speaks a lot about that in his second coming. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that they heard, uh, meaning wise men, not these specific ones, but wise men, and that tradition or those oral teachings no doubt passed down, and maybe even some of the actual writings of the prophets because many of the Israelites would have stayed behind in Babylon and in Persia um, in those days. And so, yeah, for sure, the word went out. And you can know that for sure because the star that definitely plays a part in meaning the revelation of God that's coming through that 
whatever that mysterious, illuminous light, that's what Charles Spurgeon called it, this illuminous light from heaven. Mm -hmm. Like whatever that was, it was clearly part of God's revelation validating. But you can't get child born king, which is what they came asking for. Where is the child born king of the Jews? You don't get that from an illuminous light from heaven. Right. You have to have words. Mm -hmm. You got to have propositional truth. Mm -hmm. So they heard that from somebody, which is ultimately the word of God going out. And so uh, what is fascinating about the wise men and the story that we see there, and especially in light of Matthew writing to a Jewish audience, is that in the gospel of Matthew, the first worshipers of Christ are Gentiles. Fascinating when he's writing to a Jewish audience about the fact that Jesus is the Jewish king, like the king of Israel. And the first worshipers on the scene really are in Matthew's gospel. We know chronologically the shepherds came based upon the night that he was born and, and the angels worshiped and all of that. But in Matthew's gospel, he skips over all of that because mm -hmm. he doesn't give us birth narrative. He's just given us the events. And in chapter two, it's these unexpected, strange, wise men from the east, from a pagan land, and they come bringing gifts to this king. Why is that so fundamental to Matthew's purpose of proving that Jesus is the Messiah? It's because the Old Testament incessantly said, when the true king comes, this is what will happen. Mm -hmm. People from faraway lands will be bringing gifts and homage to the king. And Matthew's saying, look at this. You can't deny this. He even elevates it even more when he says all of Jerusalem had no clue where the Messiah was by way of they didn't even know he was there. And yet these kings come or these, these wise men come from maybe a thousand miles away and find him with very limited knowledge. It's totally a sovereign work. This is a divine child. This is a work of God. Yeah, I love it how uh, <laughs> Herod went to the high priests and the scribes yeah. and then got where they were supposed to be. Yeah. And then he goes to them secretly. He's like, hey, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Yeah. So that points their gaze to Bethlehem. And then yeah. all of a sudden they see that, yeah. you know, I mean, they didn't even know. It's like they didn't know. They didn't. But the the wicked Herod, who the 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 weirdo that married his niece or, yeah. you know, yeah. like all that. I mean, just yeah. the, the wicked guy yeah. was actually being used in that moment oh, to by bring, God. To bring truth. To bring truth. Yeah. And to, that to, to help them. I was like, man, that, that's amazing. But again, it goes back to that point that's been said in church history which is powerful, and you see it right there in Scripture, and you see it throughout Scripture. God in his sovereign grace will always, always, he will always bring his word to his people, mm -hmm. or he will bring his people to his word. Mm -hmm. That is how he works. It's always been that way, and those people will search for it. They will hunger and thirst for it. They, he will wet their whistle. He will reveal himself through creation, and, and in so doing, bringing his word about God's almighty power. You can't be saved through that, but your heart can be provoked, and you'll search looking for the one true God. I mean, this is a testimony of all time, mm -hmm. right? It's what, it's what you see with Cornelius, a God fear. What does that mean? He's being provoked in his heart, but he's not yet a believer, but he's being provoked in his heart that he knows there's something here that's, that drives me, that I'm longing for the truth. Well, what happens? God sends Peter, the first Gentile to get saved in the New Testament. What? He brings his word to the man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see this throughout. Lydia he brings his word through, or he brings people to them, whether right. it's to Christ. And these mm -hmm. wise men are, are interesting because they get both. They are brought, no doubt, through a word that they heard 
back in east from someone mm-hmm. and then of course it's validated through the through the miraculous star but then they get to Jerusalem and they still don't know where to go mm-hmm. right they know it's in this land somewhere and they're in Jerusalem and they're and in Jerusalem Bethlehem. yeah they're in Jerusalem because that's the capital city right mm-hmm. that's where you would go right. to get information and surely everybody knows about this king that's born that's their point mm-hmm. and then they get there and nobody knows mm-hmm. and yet God in his sovereign grace takes a vile perverted imposter king and a false teaching spurious leaders and says wise men i got you watch this and he takes them and said no no he's in bethlehem and they <laughs> they bring the word to him right right and then they're like okay now we can go to bethlehem but we don't know what house but we'll figure it out we'll knock on every door mm-hmm. and god says no problem here's the star again and it beams on the house I mean, it's just it's it's just amazing to see the sovereign grace of god leading and guiding his people and at the same time to see the diligence and the persistence of true faith. They will not quit. They will not give up. They're just constantly going. Nothing will appease them. Nothing will satisfy them until they see the king. Man, that is such a picture of what we should have at Christmas, Mm -hmm. where this world should not satisfy us. These gifts should not satisfy us. Where I am in my spiritual walk, I should not be satisfied with, though I can praise God for the work he's doing, but I want more of Christ. I want to find Christ. And that is exactly what you see in Philippians 3 with the Apostle Paul, who saw more of Christ than anybody. And he says, I want more. Mm -hmm. I need more. I want to know Christ. And that should be the heart of Christmas. Definitely, definitely. Hey, so... Before we before we end, uh, I have a few questions for you. These are just kind of like sorry, quick questions. Uh, you are excited about these? Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, that's turn me loose and it's dangerous. Yeah, that's turn me loose. That is definitely from West Virginia or the <laughs> South somewhere. Yeah. Turn me loose. Oh yeah. Uh, so your your favorite uh, Christmas uh, song, like your favorite uh, Christmassy like, song, like Carol or him? Yeah, yeah. Um, would be. Um. Uh, oh. I guess it is your favorite. It's right. Well, I have so many. I'm trying to think of the exact title of it. Um, okay. Well, give us some of the words. Maybe we can uh, come up with it. I like a couple of them. One is I like "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Mm-hmm. I really like that one for a number of reasons. The theology um, is is really good, and so I find myself. Um, always going back to that one in large part because it it demonstrates what's often missed at Christmas which is the desperate need for Christ right right and mm-hmm. i love that song mm-hmm. and because it starts right where we should start we need this king mm-hmm. it's, it's oftentimes again we celebrate christmas as christ is just the addendum he's like the the next present i get under the tree right. rather than the life that we need so that one is 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 one of my favorites uh yeah without question there's there's many others yeah, um, the we, one, the one, one, the one that uh, Susie played today, even in our uh, offertory, right? I wonder as I wonder, mm-hmm. you know. And it, again, I love that as part of Christmas because it, 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 Christmas should be driven or should drive you to wonder because mm-hmm. there's so much about that we can't explain. How many times did I say it today? We don't know how many wise men there were. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what the star was, mm-hmm. right? Because it's wonder. Yeah. It's miraculous. We don't. I don't know how God can be at one time both a hundred percent man, a hundred fully God, fully man in one person, right? You know, not co, not co mingling yet at the same time, totally together. It's just like I, 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 I can only tell you what Scripture tells right. you, and I can only marvel at it. That's the point. We marvel. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that. So your least favorite, um, 
My least favorite would be uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just because the whole Santa Claus thing just gets under my skin. Well, I don't, that, I, that is I, actually my next question. I don't talk about it a lot, and of course, yeah. I'm. You know, I mean, we're one of those families that people probably make fun of, but we tell our kids right from birth that Santa Claus is a lie, because he is. I mean, let's just say it for what it is. And so, but I mean, you know, we don't we don't crucify Santa Claus because Christ right. is the only one that deserves in the sense of that's going to earn anything for us in crucifixion but we don't sugarcoat it and so uh but you know i watch i've watched rudolph with my kids and i don't mind that and we watch those things and you know and i don't think that's damning but my kids know mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think they're they're you know I, I always you know the quip of santa claus versus satan claus you know, I think it's comical that thought, and yet there's truth to it. Satan Claus? Yeah, I, yeah. I have. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's just like you do. It's coming up with a phrase where people will say instead of Santa Claus, Satan. He's like the he's uh, like the, okay. the play on Christ. He's like the you can get the best of Christ. He'll give you gifts. He'll give, you, but he won't require anything of you. And, right, right. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of funny, and 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 yet at the same time, you know, when people think that's what christmas is all about it's so so sad and so uh yeah but so, so some of those christmas songs are just like come on man really is that is that what this is so i i broke it to my kids in a different way it was it was more of a selfish thing because i'm like look i work hard for these presents <laughs> they're not coming from <laughs> yeah, they're, they else. are not coming from somebody that's breaking into our home in yeah. the middle of the night yeah. it's not happening yeah no. but then also uh it, it it really came from the uh like my least favorite yeah. Is uh, um, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town? Yeah, least favorite. Yeah, and the I reason why? Yeah, and and one of the reasons why is because that one verse is like he sees you when you're sleeping, he yeah. knows when you're awake, he yeah. knows when you, when you've been bad or good. It's yeah. like no, yeah. and and that's you were, where the whole Satan clause thing comes from. Gotcha. Because it, he has he's omnipresent, right? You know, and in Satan isn't, but still, in uh, we were watching a Christmas movie because I like I, yeah. I like watching Christmas movies with my kids, yeah. and they're sitting there watching it, and they're like, and one somebody said, "Yeah, he's omnipresent," and I'm like, I look at them and I'm like, pause it. Uh, who is omnipresent? <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, only one. God is. I was like. Because there's no such thing as Santa Claus, yeah. and he's not omnipresent. Mm-hmm. I was like, the alarm will be on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. So if someone gets past the alarm and the dogs will bark, then, yeah, yeah we have a problem. Yeah. So that, that, please <laughs> understand that that's how it is. So they understand it. They get it. I did it. I, like I said, I did it off of a selfish you know, motive. But uh, now that I'm more mature, it's like, okay, well, here's the, the reality of all of this. Yeah. Now, the other, uh, <laughs> the other challenge was to get them to uh because there are other people that don't have the same beliefs as us yeah, so it's of instead of just saying well you know what santa claus isn't real yeah. and then just completely you know yeah. you see the other kid just completely melt yeah it's like just ask them questions it's like yeah. so where do the presents come from santa claus it's like well how is he able to get all the way around the world in one yeah, night. That's it. Magic. Well, how is he getting into people's homes that don't have chimneys? <laughs> you know, it's just like just just have them ask a few questions just well, to make them come to it. You know, on their own instead of just you know hitting them over the head with it. Usually, with our family, it was our kids that told the other ones. You know, when they would right. get, get of age and start talking about it because they 
see something and then one of the other kids would be like yeah that's not real and then, they, then that child comes running scared <laughs> or sad and be like he told me santa claus isn't real i'm like well he's not real yeah and then they're like oh but yeah i, I just wanted to kind of uh, thinking of that song another really bad one um being from west virginia is uh grandma got run over by a reindeer <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's just out of my heritage so you know i uh, there was a whole movie about that oh, too, yeah, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, you know, it's yeah. bad. It's bad. There's just there's nothing good about that song. You know, yeah. it's just so. Uh, but yeah. the 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 uh, what is the song? Um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of this because this is what happened. So they the the uh, when the song came out, the writer was made to rewrite the 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 chorus to the song yeah um because of uh so the uh the 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 words were um uh in the metal we could build a snowman oh, yeah. and to say that he's and and pretend that he's parson brown yeah uh he'll say yeah. they'll say are you married we say mm-hmm. no man but you can do the job when you're in town yeah and you know just for people that are listening the the, the history behind that is that yeah. they were t- there were towns where uh pastors or parson would yep. go around and yep. it would be you know kind of like you would hit all these different like a circuit yep. Yep. and the parson yep. coming into town for this young couple and getting married but it's like they they were upset because they look they, the person writing the song looking at was looking at marriage as like a flippant thing to do like yeah. you just yeah you can do the job when you're in town it's like, no you need to rewrite it that's why when you hear that song uh walk in the winter wonderland that's the winter wonderland uh there's two uh there's two verses in the metal we can build a summer and pretending he's a circus clown yeah um so that is kind of like, and then even the second part of that verse uh on the first one uh we can pretend he's parson brown um and then uh so in in the middle we can build some and pretend he's Parson Brown. We'll say your name is no man. You can do the job in your town. Uh, then uh, then what is it? So the second part of that is uh, to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in the winter wonderland. Yeah, they took that whole thing. It was like that is that that nope. You have to rewrite that song because that is horrible. Yeah, you can't just take marriage as like something that you just you know kind of up and do. You need to plan it out. It needs to be, you know, uh, uh, deliberate. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, I read it. I was like, oh, man, that is crazy yeah. how we have just completely switched <laughs> yeah. from marriage being a, you know, just like a, you know, like you have to plan it out. You have to be you know, serious about it. Now it's like, you want to get married tomorrow? Yeah. Sure. So, you know. Many of the of the Christian uh, hymns of Christmas are really good sound doctrinally i'm talking to the historic ones not, mm-hmm. not the ones today though there are some good ones but um you know uh oh come all ye faithful yeah. i mean just a solid theologically rich song um so many of the songs of christmas the old hymns are just not all of them but many of them are uh it's, it's just amazing how crystal clear and poignant many of the christmas songs are dealing with the trinity dealing with uh, uh depravity dealing with uh uh, the gospel and so i i love that and i think that's uh it's so helpful it's why i like to sing those old hymns at christmas because it's just i love doctrinally sound music where the gospel is clear where man's need of of repentance and faith is clear and where god's grace is clear and man often those old hymns are the clearest yeah it just it never ceases to amaze me how how uh poignant is the right word and how crisp 
those hymns can just nail some of these doctrinal things that Christmas brings out that are really inexplainable, yeah. exhaustibly, and yet in a that's the beauty of music, right? And in three stanzas, you've just exhausted the mm-hmm. the Trinity by mm-hmm. way of uh, by way of understanding at the point is about as far as you can get it. I yeah. mean, last week we were we were singing and um, I was preaching on the incarnation, and I was again the, the beauty of good music, and I was sitting there laughing, going. Because every one of these songs is the sermon I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I really can't say it much better than it's said yeah. in these songs. Definitely. So that's what I love about good Christmas music. But uh, Joy to the World. Yeah. Not a Christmas song. Yeah. It's not a Christmas song. Yep. It, Of course, we sing it during Christmas. Yep. Um, I think that it's really uh, a good song. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really about the triumphant coming of the mm-hmm. king. Joy to the world, the yep. Lord has come. Yeah. Let earth receive her king. Yep. And, uh, but that's kind of like the, the, the introduction of yeah. it. But, you know, uh, I, when I heard it, I was like, you know what? It's right. We're still singing at Christmas, but yeah. it's a, it's a very good, you know, solid song to sing that any time of the year. Yeah. Um, one of my old churches used to sing, uh, Oh, come, let us adore him yeah. uh, all the time. Oh, come, yeah. are you faithful yeah. all the time? Uh, and they would kind of weave it into other songs. I thought it was yep. pretty cool. Uh, but some s- of the, some of the songs get a little wonky, like like we sang even today, the Three Kings. You yeah. know, like that song is is utterly wrong on like <laughs> especially because we don't know how many kings there yeah, were. Yeah, there's a number of things about that song that's just not right. And it says from Orient. Yeah, which which it is. I mean, that's the Greek word really that's used there in the East in the sense of that's what it's pointing to, the Orient, and so that's where they get that from. So that's fine. But, but uh, you know, very common today in Christmas music is this idea of, of, and it comes up in a number of songs, whether it's Chris Tomlin or others, where they talk about, the cry of the baby breaking the silence and they phrase it in, in, in different ways, but where like the 400 years of silence, which is between the old and the new Testament was broken by a baby's cry. That is such a famous line and everybody wants to use in a Christmas song. Mm-hmm. And yet that is totally not true, right? It, the 400 years of silence was not broken by a baby's cry. It was broken by an angel's declaration. When the angel came to Zechariah, that was the first time then that God had spoken through a messenger, which happened long before Jesus was born. And the birth of John the Baptist was an angel. He, I mean, was a cry, and he cried long before Christ came yeah. to cry. So I didn't think so, about that. Yeah, so that right. reality comes up even in even in some historic songs, but a lot of modern day songs. And so you just gotta you just gotta you know watch that kind of stuff. Um, because and the little drummer boy, yeah, yeah, which is which is whatever Murray, that is. Murray would have knocked him out if yeah, he was in there trying yeah. to play while and the baby nothing, was sleeping. Yeah, there's nothing there. Um, yeah, there's, not scriptural. Yeah, there's a there's a number of those things where you're just like, yeah, no, that's not that's not that's not how it that's not how it worked, and that's not what it's about. But uh, like even the Three Kings, you know, it's like the star. It's not about the star. The star actually plays a very minimal role, mm-hmm. right? Uh, unless you're going to see the star as Christ, then you'd have to twist and turn some of the words there because it's clearly elevating the star. And the whole point of the the whole point of that passage is not the star. Mm-hmm. Christ is the star, not the star. Yeah. Right. And so again, Christmas music has a tendency to take you off track if you're not careful or don't understand, don't have sound doctrine. So I try to pick better music at times. But um, yeah, but it's fun. What do you do Christmas morning? Uh, Christmas morning, we actually open our presents. We get up early. Uh, a lot of times, we'll read. Uh, I'll read part of the Christmas narrative 
of the birth of Christ uh, with the kids. We'll pray, and then we uh, open up our, our, our packages, our presents that we bought for one another. We usually um, uh, divide them up, one of the kids do, because they're so excited. And then we usually open them up one at a time and watch everybody. So it takes a little while. And a lot of times we'll do our stocking first. It depends. We let the kids pick. A lot of times they'll want to do their stocking last or do their stocking first. And so we we, we have kind of shifts that mm-hmm. we do. And uh, Amy usually gets up early and makes this uh, really like uh, really good French toast meal that we like. This very unhealthy but very good <laughs> French toast. And so calories don't count on Christmas. Yeah, no, we, we yeah, we're not counting them. And uh we usually stay up pretty late on Christmas Eve and have a party, and that's kind of tradition. And mm-hmm. so we make, you know, after church, we have a big party, and so we'll do that, stay up late with the kids, and there's a bunch of things we do there. And then we get up sometime on Christmas morning and open presents, do that, and then we end up at my in-laws doing the same thing all over again. Right, right. So it just goes on and on. But it's, yeah, it's it's a blessing. Beverly, years past, she has gotten, well, it's it's a long process so she starts a week before christmas and makes these homemade cinnamon rolls Ooh, oh man and Mm. when i say homemade i mean from scratch like straight from like just the flour and everything makes these homemade cinnamon rolls you you might have had some last year but they are phenomenal she's not doing them this year and and i'm okay with that because (laughs) that put that makes well, take it up with her. <laughs> Good luck. Here's the thing. Those those cinnamon rolls ruined my entire day. I eat one, maybe two. And they're not like, you know, huge. They're like the size of my palm. Yeah. They're not huge, but I eat two of those along with she makes like this amazing uh hash brown casserole and uh some, you know, some sausage or bacon or whatever. I, I can't function the rest of the day. Like, yeah. I am just so sleepy. The lead weight. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah. But but you know what? It is one of those things where it's like I look forward to it every year. <laughs> this year we're going a little lighter. She's making like a French toast casserole. There you go. Which, you know, it, it's, it's perfect for me. But I'm like, man, I'm I'm kind of glad that she's not doing it because now today I, I'll probably get something accomplished on Christmas. There you know, you go. got to cl- you know clean up some stuff. I, I it is technically a day off. You, you know, be laying in your chair all day. I will. And th- now that she got me a, a new brand new lazy boy, you know, it's like shoot, I, I I will you know I will not be in the chair the whole day. That's Maybe right. some of the day because you know one of the things that you have to do. Uh, as an American, is you have to watch uh, the Christmas story at least once because it go. comes on like constantly all day long. But you know, but that's what it is. But as we end, I just want to say everybody listening, Merry Christmas. Um, and I don't say Happy Holidays uh, because you know I'm unpolitically unpo- un- correct, <laughs> uh, un- polit- politically incorrect. Either way you look at it. Uh, but Merry Christmas to you all. Um, have a happy new year. Uh, we do not have a slogan, official slogan, uh, for the 2020 year, just like some other people would have. Uh, but we will say that, you know, God is sovereign. And uh, that is that is what we uh, look forward to, God's sovereignty reigning. And uh, our prayer is that we align with his sovereignty and that our uh, emotions and how we react is uh, is, is a good biblical fear of, of him and his will and his plan for our lives. And I said all that because I want you to now end and say something pastoral. 
Well, I would just say if we're going into the year 2020, it should be really about seeing clearly, right? Because we think of 2020 did vision. You, did you really just do that? Yeah, and it's what it should be about. And it should be the only way you can see clearly is if you see through the lens of Scripture, right? Okay, all John right. Calvin you you brought to, it back. John Calvin used to say, um, he used to call it the spectacles of Scripture, mm-hmm. that we should see life through the lens of Scripture because it's only then that things are clear. Everything else is clouded. And I think that is so worth repeating, and it's been on my heart a lot lately as I'm thinking through a number of things we're going to be doing as a church going into 2020, and that should not be a 2020 slogan. That ought to be a life principle Mm -hmm. that we want to view all of life every day, every moment, every event through the truth of Scripture so that I understand the difference between truth and error, and I know what my response should be in the midst of whatever I'm facing and uh, that's the joy of the Lord, that we can have that by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. So I just pray that uh, 2020 will be a mark, uh, will be a marked year that where we grow deeper in our understanding of God's word so that we can walk in the truth and delight in his word. Delighting in the word while walking in the truth. There you go. See? <laughs> See? Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that, man. I thought you were doing like the whole charismatic, like 2020 is your year to see clearly no. what God has for you. I, you didn't. You, have, you actually I, did it biblically. I, I have, appreciate that. I, I, listen, I have, I have no experience other than the word of God and the word of God says, right? When you follow the word, you will see clearly. Yeah. It is a light unto our path, right? Mm-hmm. It is a lamp unto our step, right? And mm-hmm. a light unto our path. I mean, uh, what is that talking about? It's talking about seeing clearly. Yeah. Right? When you stop trusting in your own ways and trusting in the Lord, Proverbs 3, <coughs> he will make your path straight, mm-hmm. right? Commit your ways to the Lord and he will um, He will guide your steps, speaking of stability and clarity. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just what the Bible teaches. So yeah. There yeah. you go. Yep. How does young man keep his way? Pure. Psalm one nineteen nine mm-hmm. by walking according to thy word. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. Yep. All right. We'll see you all uh, coming up here in the next segment. Uh, well, right after this, I would say is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's going to be in a little different way than we normally do it. It's going to be actually in Swedish. So take a listen. Take care. Bibelns evangelium börjar med Gud. Ur intet skapade Gud allt, även dig och mig, för att ge honom välbehag. Hans mening med att skapa människan var att vi skulle älska, tillbe och glädja oss helt i honom. Istället har människan syndat mot sin kärleksfulla skapare och revolterat mot honom. Eftersom Gud är god och rättvis måste han straffa synden som förtjänar evig, avsiktlig bestraffning under Guds vrede i helvetet. Men Gud, som är nådefull, kärleksfull och barmhärtig, hade en plan för att bestraffa synden för att vara en rättvis domare och ändå förlåta syndare för att visa nåd. Genom att sända sin egen son, Jesus Kristus, själv sann, evig Gud, för att klä sig i en människokropp och på så sätt uppfylla Guds perfekta krav istället för syndare, att älska, tillbe och glädja sig i honom. Dessutom bar Jesus Guds fulla dom på korset då han tillfredsställde Guds eviga vrede över synden genom att ta syndarens plats trots att han själv var helt fri från synd. Gud visade att han tog emot Kristi offer genom att han uppväckte Jesus från de döda efter tre dagar i graven. Nu bjuder Jesus alla överallt att omvända sig 
vända bort från sina synder och tro, lita på honom. Det här är den strålande förändringen. Gud ger Kristi perfekta syndvrihet till lösen för syndaren och ser honom inte längre som en fiende men istället som adopterade söner och döttrar täckta av sin egen sons rättfärdighet. Vi kan nu ha frid med Gud och evigt liv med honom. Det är sant för varje person, i varje kultur, varje plats, varje språk, för alltid. Så vårt svar till dessa goda nyheter är omvändelse och tro. Kära lyssnare, se, nu är den rätta tiden. Nu är frälsningens dag. Vänd bort från dina synder, tro på Herren Jesus Kristus och bli försonad med Gud idag. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere, to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner, and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughter's covered in the perfect righteousness of his son we can now have peace with god and have eternal life with him forever it's true for every person in every culture in every place in every language through all time so our response to this good news is repentance and faith dear hearer behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation turn from your sins Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this day, be reconciled to God. Delighting in the word, that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Belcrop Bible Church. Good Yule. Merry Christmas.